well, I am a millennial. Actually, I'm almost a geriatric millennial. You've heard that term, it's a little offensive. One year away from being a geriatric millennial, which means that I am part of the generation uh, that was born into a world where the internet was not yet available uh, for public use, anyways. So I was born into a world where phones were attached to the walls. When I was a kid, the only handheld digital devices that we had were called Tamagotchis. <laughs> If you know, you know, right? Little digital pets that we carried around on our keychains and tried to keep alive by pressing buttons. Uh, our screen time involved turning the dials on something called an Etch-a-Sketch. <laughs> It was a different world back then. Uh, but there was a massive shift that was taking place in technology as we were growing up. And so when I learned to drive, I didn't have to figure out how to read a map like they did back in the pioneer times. <laughs> but we also didn't have little GPS devices that we walked around with in our pockets either. When I learned to drive, we had something called MapQuest. We would log on to uh, the World Wide Web through our dial-up internet connections, and we would visit this website and we would print off step-by-step -step directions to wherever we needed to go, like on actual real-life paper. And the thing about driving before the age of the GPS was that you actually had to um, pay attention to where you were going. You had to keep your eyes open so that you didn't miss a turn. You had to be focused and intentional about taking the steps that would get you where you wanted to go. But not anymore. These days, when we need to figure out how to get somewhere, we just open up an app on our phone, right, and we punch in the address, and we trust that the voice that comes through our speakers will get us to where we need to go. And a few weeks ago, I went to my friend's cottage up north when I was on holidays, and before I set off, I opened up one of the three <laughs> GPS applications that I have on my phone, And I put in the address, and uh, I was having a look at it, but this app was being kind of glitchy. I was trying to share my location. It wasn't working, and so I kind of gave up, and I pulled up another app. I opened up the second uh, map application, and I got it all good to go. I punched in uh, the address of the cottage, and I added a stop because I was going to get some groceries uh, along the way in Barrie, and off I went. It was a beautiful day. I had my tunes playing, I was enjoying the drive. I was just kind of uh, following the directions that the GPS gave me along the way. And when I got to Barrie, my GPS told me which exit that I needed to uh, get off at. And so I got off of the highway. And then I just kind of kept turning uh, according to what she was telling me from that point on. 
And after a little while, things didn't really uh, feel right. I noticed uh, that something wasn't going right. The GPS kept recalculating, even though I was, I was taking the turns that it was telling me to take. It was sending me down all of these little side streets. I felt like I was going in circles. It was very frustrating. And eventually, it, it tried sending me back onto the highway. Right? And so at that point, I was like, what is going on? And I pulled over, and I uh, took a look at the GPS. And as it turned out, I hadn't actually closed that first GPS application on my phone. It was still running in the background. And I didn't put in uh, that extra stop for the grocery store on that app. And so I had two different applications running. One of them was trying to send me to the grocery store, and the other application was trying to send me straight to the cottage. There were two different voices that, in my defense, sounded very similar. <laughs> There's two different voices sending me in different directions, trying to take me to different destinations, and I hadn't even noticed. Because I was just kind of running on autopilot. And so I was going around in circles and not making any progress in getting to the grocery store or the cottage. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like there are different voices pulling you in different directions, trying to tell you who you need to be and how you should be living and whether or not you're measuring up? We live in a world where we are exposed to more information and advertisements than ever before. We are constantly scrolling through social media and comparing our lives to the lives of other people, to their highlight reels. We are constantly surrounded by people who have different opinions about what's right and what's good and what matters. And then there are the voices in our own mind, right, that can sometimes send us spiraling and make us feel like we're losing our sense of direction. And because we're surrounded by so many voices, it's easy to get spun in circles or to start moving in the wrong direction without even realizing it. And so every now and then, it's important that we pause and pay attention to whose voices we're listening to, to the words that are shaping our lives and leading us forward and to make sure that they're voices that can be trusted, to make sure that the voices that are leading us forward are moving us in the direction that we actually want to go. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage from the book of John where the disciples are faced with a critical decision about whose voice they're going to listen to when following Jesus gets tough when everyone else seems to be walking away, when they're faced with confusion and questions that they don't have answers for. This morning, we're going to look, we're going to look at a passage from John chapter 6. 
Now, in order to understand what's going on in today's passage, we need to take a look at the context. Today's passage comes on the heels of one of the most well-known stories in the Gospels. It comes right after the feeding of the 5,000. And this is one of those stories that even if you've never uh, picked up a Bible or walked into the doors of a church until now, you're probably familiar with, right? This is a really familiar story. But when we look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000, we don't often keep reading to see what happens next, to see the aftermath of the miracle. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So Jesus has just performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And just in case you need a refresher on that story, we'll kind of review it really quickly. There was a huge crowd that had been following Jesus everywhere that he went. He'd gained all kinds of popularity because of the miracles that he'd been performing. And one day, uh, Jesus snuck off because he was trying to get some time alone. But it was only a matter of time before the people found him. Right? This huge crowd comes, they find Jesus, Jesus has compassion on them, and he sits down and he starts to teach them. And then after a full day of teaching, the people were getting hungry. But no one had any food to eat, except for one little boy who came prepared. He brought a lunch. He had five little barley loaves and he had two fish, right? You know the story. And so the disciples bring this kid's lunch to Jesus. Jesus thanks God for the food and then he distributes it to everyone who was there. And even though the food that they'd started with was just a drop in the bucket, compared to what would have been needed to feed this crowd, everyone ate, right? Everyone had their fill, and afterwards they even had 12 baskets of bread left over. What wasn't enough became more than enough when it was placed in Jesus' hands. And after this miracle, something very interesting happens. The people want to force Jesus to be their king. Why? It's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, who wouldn't want a king with like supernatural bread-making powers, right? That's cool. But this is about more than bread. Verse four tells us that this event takes place as the people are getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover was the Jewish festival that commemorated the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. It reminded the Jewish people that God had rescued them, that he'd set them free from slavery. And this was like a central part of their identity. This was a piece of their history that really shaped who they were as a people group. But the Passover wasn't just an event that focused on the past. It also anticipated something that was going to happen in the future. It anticipated the coming of the Messiah, the king that they were waiting for, who would come and rescue them once again and free them from the oppression of the Romans. 
and they've seen Jesus' miracles, and they believe that he might be their guy. So they want to make him their king, but what does Jesus do? He slips away. (laughs) He slips away, and he escapes from the crowd for one day, (laughs) for one day. But they find him. This crowd finds him. And Jesus ends up in a conversation with the people in this crowd that changes the entire scene, changes everything. The first thing that Jesus does when the people find him is he calls them out for their motives, right? Not necessarily the best way to gain popularity or make friends. He calls them out for their motives. John 6, verse 26, uh, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. In other words, Jesus says, you are only following me for what you can get out of it. You just want food, but you're missing the point. And some of you probably remember, uh, we talked about the Gospel of John a little while ago, and we looked at how in the the book of John, Jesus' miracles are referred to as signs. Because Jesus doesn't perform miracles as a way to just do cool tricks or impress people. The miracles were signs that pointed to deeper truths about Jesus' identity and his kingdom. So Jesus says, Don't just come to me looking to get your tummies filled because what I'm offering you is something so much deeper. What I'm offering you is eternal life. And whenever scripture talks about eternal life, it isn't just referring to something that we experience in the future. Like, like it's not just referring only to heaven, right? That's how we tend to use the phrase. But when Jesus talks about eternal life, what he's talking about is real life, life to the full, like a life of wholeness, life as it was made to be that starts now, right, and extends into eternity. But the people don't even hear what Jesus is saying, He says this profound truth and they just kind of skip right over it. They say, we want to perform God's works too. What do we do? How do we do it? How do we do this cool stuff? And Jesus replies, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. Life in the kingdom of God isn't about what we do for God. Right? It's about what God does for us and in us and through us. This is a whole different framework than anybody had experienced in this culture. So Jesus is inviting these people to believe in him, to trust in him, and to let him do the rest. But the crowd just, they they don't get it. They still don't get it. And so they ask for another miracle. In verse 30, they say, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. 
And remember, this was after they followed him because of all the miracles he'd be do- been doing. This is, because, this is after he'd fed this huge crowd. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's with this crowd, right? They just can't get enough food. (laughs) They want Jesus to give them more food. But actually, the Jewish people uh, believed that manna would be a sign of the coming of the second Moses, of the Messiah. And so they're kind of testing Jesus out. They want to get a sense of who he is. But Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so he points out that it wasn't actually Moses who gave the manna in the wilderness. It was God who provided the manna. And that same generous God, that same good God, that same faithful God who provided the Israelites with manna in the wilderness was now offering the entire world the true bread from heaven in Jesus. Right? Jesus isn't just the giver of gifts. He himself is the gift. And as the conversation goes on, uh, the crowd starts to push back. You know, they end up saying, like, how can he say that he came down from heaven? We know his mom and dad. You know, they get confused. They get offended. But Jesus doesn't soften his point. Jesus knows that his identity and his mission aren't dependent on the opinions of his fans and his critics, right? He's not looking for applause. He's not trying to earn popularity. He's speaking the truth, and he's inviting people into it. So as he goes on, he actually intensifies his point. In verse 53, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Jesus makes it weird. He does. He does, right? To his listeners, this would have sounded like cannibalism. To the Jews, consuming blood was prohibited in the law, right? It would have been unimaginable for them to think about consuming the blood of the Son of Man. And even if we assume, as we probably should, that the people knew he wasn't speaking literally here, this imagery would have been shocking. It was offensive. And both of these images, the image of the flesh and the blood, were clearly pointing to Jesus' death. Right? To the Jewish people, the idea of the Messiah coming and speaking about his own death would have made absolutely no sense. Right? They were expecting a Messiah who was going to be a warrior who would come and conquer not someone who was going to give up his life and die on a cross. 
The people came to Jesus because they were dazzled by his miracles and because they wanted food and because they were hoping that he was the warrior king that was going to conquer their enemies and free them from the Romans. And what Jesus is saying here doesn't fit with their hopes and their expectations. So let's look at verse 60. It says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And often when we hear the word disciples, we just automatically think about the 12 disciples, right? But here John's still talking about this big crowd that had been following Jesus. In verse 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you don't believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that's why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. And so Jesus reinforces the point, right, that he came from heaven and that he will return from heaven. He's not just a teacher or a prophet or a miracle worker. He's God incarnate. He's a citizen of both heaven and earth. And so his words aren't just anyone's words. His words are words of the spirit. They're words that give life. And yet some of the people don't believe him, right? Their hearts aren't open to receive the gifts that God wants to give them. Verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. So the crowd dissipates. A big crowd, right? Person after person turns around and they walk away from Jesus. As one commentator put it, what the people wanted, Jesus would not give. And what Jesus offered, they would not receive. Jesus wasn't the Messiah that the Jewish people were expecting or hoping for. He didn't come to gain power and popularity. He came to give up his life in an act of sacrificial love so that we could experience real and eternal life through him. He didn't come to free the Israelites from the Romans. He came to offer a more real and lasting freedom. He came to free us from the bondage of sin. He came to free us to be the people that God made us to be. He didn't come to bring peace through military victory. He came to offer a peace that was deeper and more enduring than what anyone could have imagined. He came to offer peace with God and peace with others and peace within ourselves through the cross. Jesus didn't come to satisfy people's appetites by filling their bellies with bread. Instead, he offered himself. He is the only true source of fulfillment and satisfaction. 
What the people wanted, Jesus would not give. And what Jesus offered, they would not receive. And so they turn around and they walk away. And then Jesus turns to the 12 disciples, to his inner circle, and he presents them with this question with this question that their response to would shape the trajectory of the rest of their entire lives. Verse 67, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Now we know how the story ends, right? And so it's easy to kind of skip over this question without thinking about the awkwardness and the tension and the confusion that would have been lingering in the air. But think about how the disciples would have felt in this moment. I mean, they just had this faith-building, mountaintop experience. Jesus had just performed this incredible miracle. He was the most popular guy in town everywhere they went. Huge crowds followed them. But Jesus had just given this teaching. And the sense we get in the text is that literally everyone else but them has just walked away. And let's not kid ourselves. The disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying either. (laughs) They didn't get it, right? His teaching didn't fit with what they were expecting from the Messiah either. And John doesn't tell us how much time passes between Jesus posing the question and the response that Peter gives us in the next verse. He doesn't tell us about the thoughts that were racing through the disciples' minds, but this was a weighty moment. And then Peter speaks up. Good old Peter, right? It's always Peter. Verse 68 says, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Now notice what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say, no way, Jesus, we're not going to leave you. We totally get it. We understand exactly what you're saying. Peter doesn't say, of course we're not going to leave. Everything's going great. Everything seems to be working out well for us. He doesn't say that. He says, to whom else would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Regardless of what any of the voices around them were saying, regardless of any doubt or discouragement or confusion that they might have been experiencing, Peter knew that the words of Jesus were the source of eternal life, real life, life as it was meant to be. And in spending time with him, the disciples had come to believe, not just cognitively, but to really believe And to know, not just with their minds, but deep in their bones, that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And so they were going to stay with Jesus. With their unanswered questions. With their doubts. With 
their unmet expectations, even when everyone else had walked away. They were going to stay with Jesus and let him lead them through it because they knew that his voice was the only voice they could really trust and that his words are the source of truth and hope and goodness and life. Now, we are living in a very different social and religious context than Jesus' first followers were. And we have the bigger picture of who Jesus is, right? We know now what God was doing in the story, how we see how it was all leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. We know about the forgiveness and freedom that we have through the cross. We have the bigger picture. But we still all face these points of decision in our relationship with Jesus. We all have times where we're tempted to walk away or where our priorities get mixed up and our attention and our affection shift away from Jesus. And it isn't quite as black and white for us, right? I mean, in this time, literally, these people had to decide whether they were going to pack up their stuff and go home or whether they were going to keep following this rabbi. There was no faking it, right? There was no going through the motions. It's easier for us now to just kind of keep going through the motions of our faith even when we've distanced ourselves from Jesus. It's easier for us to get pulled off course without really noticing, but we all face these moments of decision when we need to decide whether we're, who, uh, which voices we're going to trust, when we need to decide which voice we're going to follow. Really, we all face that decision every single day. And there are all kinds of things that can pull us away from our relationship with Jesus. Right? Sometimes it's just the distractions and the busyness of our day-to-day lives in our culture. Our schedules are full, right? We spend our time racing from one thing to another. We, we fill every spare moment that we have kind of scrolling through our phones. And so sometimes we just don't take the time to pause and to pay attention to how God is working in us and around us. Sometimes we're tempted to walk away because Jesus hasn't met our expectations, right? It's easy for us to stand back and to judge the people in today's passage, right? For turning away from Jesus, for going to Jesus just for what they could get out of him. We've got to remember, the people in this story were living in oppression. They were living through really difficult times. They just wanted God to show up and to help them, to make life better for them. And they couldn't see how Jesus was actually the fulfillment to their deepest needs and longings. They didn't understand. And we all walk through seasons where life gets tough. We all have moments where it doesn't feel like God's coming through for us, at least in the way that we were hoping that he'd come through for us. And the unmet expectations and the unanswered questions can throw us into doubt and uncertainty. Sometimes we're tempted to walk away from Jesus because our disappointment in or our disillusionment, uh, disillusionment with the church. Right? Maybe we've been hurt 
by people in the church. Maybe we've heard one too many stories about how the church has gotten it wrong and people who have claimed to represent God have caused harm. It can be difficult to separate the brokenness that we see and have experienced in the church from Jesus and the goodness of the gospel. There are all kinds of different things that can pull us away from Jesus. And regardless of what it might be that's pulling us away from Jesus, this passage invites us back to a focused center. The words of Peter show us the way forward when we're faced with doubt or when we have unanswered questions or when we're just trying to reorder our priorities and the things that are taking up space in our hearts and in our minds and in our schedules. The words of Peter remind us that regardless of what doubts we're facing or what questions we're wrestling with or how many voices are pulling us in different directions and calling out for our attention, Jesus is the only one that we can trust our lives with. He's big enough to handle our questions. He's big enough to handle our doubts. He'll meet us right in the midst of our pain and our brokenness when we're walking through unmet expectations. When everyone else gets it wrong, Jesus always gets it right. To whom else could we go? Jesus is the one who has the words that give real and eternal life. We can believe with Peter and the disciples that he is the Holy One of God. His grace never ends and his love never fails. So how do the words of Jesus give life? What does Jesus mean by that? What does Peter mean by that? Well, on the most basic level, Jesus' words reveal his identity and they point us to the gospel, to the significance of his death and resurrection, right? But there's actually more to it than that. Throughout the gospels, we hear story after story of people being transformed by their encounters with Jesus, We hear story after story of people experiencing hope and wholeness and freedom as they open themselves up to the words of Christ. With his words, Jesus called his disciples. Jesus approached fishermen and a tax collector as they were just going about their day jobs and with two simple words, follow me, he changed their lives forever. He called them out of the monotony of their day-to-day lives and into a life of purpose. He invited them to join him in what God was doing in the world through him. He invited them to experience and to extend God's kingdom as they walked alongside him as as his disciples. And today, Jesus calls each one of us to a life that's full of purpose and meaning. He calls each one of us to be people who spread his hope and his love in our broken worlds. With his words, Jesus told his disciples who they really were, who God made them to be. We see this in the interaction uh, between Peter and Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18. When Jesus looks at Peter, this guy who was impulsive and inconsistent and unsteady, and he says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. 
you are a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus looked beneath the surface. He saw who Peter really was. He saw who God made Peter to be and he called it out of him. And in a world where we're constantly comparing ourselves to others and worrying about whether or not we're measuring up, Jesus tells us who we really are. That we are children of God. That we are loved by him. With his words, Jesus healed the sick and forgave sinners and freed people from shame and fear. And Jesus still offers healing and forgiveness and freedom today. With his words, Jesus drew people into his peace and into his joy and into new life. And through his spirit, he still extends those same gifts to us today. With his words, Jesus taught people what life in his kingdom looks like. He guided them in how to live well. And his countercultural teachings are just as relevant and life-giving in our world as they were 2,000 years ago. With his words, on three different occasions, Jesus raised people from the dead. And then he went to the cross and he died and rose again, conquering death once and for all. So today, we can know that there's no situation that's so hopeless that he can't overcome it. There's no darkness that's so dark that his light can't pierce through it. Even death doesn't have the final word. So which voices have been taking up space in your heart and mind lately? Has the busyness of your day-to-day -day life been pulling you in different directions, shifting your attention away from Jesus? Have you been wrestling with doubts or questions or unmet expectations and letting those things push you away from Jesus instead of letting him walk you through them? Maybe this morning is an invitation to recalibrate your heart and your mind, to reorient your life towards Jesus, to let his voice be the one that's leading you forward and telling you who you are. Jesus is with us. He's close. He's active and he's moving. As Paul says in Acts 17, verse 28, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. The invitation is to keep our eyes and our hearts open to his presence. Trusting in his grace and resting in his love as we let his le words lead us into real and eternal life. As we close this morning, I'm gonna read uh, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 29. And um, I'm gonna read it from the message. The worship team can come on up to the front. Um, and as I read it, I, I wanna invite you to just actually let your heart settle in on the words of Jesus and to imagine that Jesus is saying these words to you. 
Try to hear these words as an invitation from Jesus to you this morning. It says this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. But you just take a moment to kind of center yourself in God's presence. We're going to take a few moments to just reflect. Take a few deep breaths. Just let yourself be reminded that God is here. He's with you. He's close. I just want you to take a moment to think about this question. What voices have been pulling you away from your relationship with Jesus? What voices have been pulling you away from your relationship with Jesus? Take a moment to just reflect on that and to hold that before God. You even ask the Spirit to speak to you as you reflect on that question. those voices been telling you? If you think about those voices that have been pulling you away, just think for a minute about what it is, the lies that those voices have been telling you. What are the words that Jesus wants you to hear today? I'm going to invite you to just ask him that question. Just hold that before the Spirit. What are the words that Jesus wants you to hear today? As you, you hear from God, just hold on to those words, carry those words with you, let them speak over you. He has the words that bring real and eternal life. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who's faithful. That when we walk through seasons of doubt, when we wrestle with questions, when we just get distracted with busyness and pulled off course in our relationship with you, that you're still there, that your grace never ends, that your love never fails. And I pray, God, that you would draw each one of us back into uh, your presence. Center each one of us in your truth. 
and let the words that you want us to hear today be the words that lead us forward as we leave this place.